Okay, well, open your Bibles to Exodus, Exodus 28. And who wants to read verses 1 through 14? Okay. Thank you. Who wants to read verses 15 to 31? Well, 15 to 30. And who wants to read verses 31 to 43? Okay. See? All right. Start with Constance. Now, as for you, bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his son with him, from among those sons of Israel, to minister as priest to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and these are Ethamar, Aaron's son. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all those wise at heart whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to set him apart as holy, in order for them to minister as priests to me. These are the garments which they shall make of breastpiece and a ephod and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, in order for him to minister as priest to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. They shall make also make the ephod of gold blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of the skilled, skillful designer. It shall have two shoulder pieces joined to its two ends, that it may be joined. The skillfully woven uh, band which is on it shall be like its work, worksmanship of the same material of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the son of Israel. Six of them names, names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the second stone, according to their birth, as a jeweler engraves a senate signet. You shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the, of the sons of Israel. You shall set them all around in filigree setting of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulder piece of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the son of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Yahweh on his, on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make built filigree uh, set of gold and the two chains of pure gold. You shall make them a twist work of cord, and you shall put the chains of cords on the filigree set. You shall make a breast piece of judgment, the work of a skillful designer. Like the work of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet material, and fine twist linen. Shall make it. It shall be square, having four numbers, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount on it four rows of stones, 
first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. In the second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And in, third, and in the third row, a jason, an agap, an amethyst. In the fourth row, a barrel, and an onyx, and a jasper. It shall be set in gold settings. The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of the signet, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. You shall make on the breast piece chains of a twisted work of cords and pure gold. You shall make on the breast piece two rings of gold, and you shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breast piece. You shall put the two cords of gold on the two rings at the ends of the breast piece, and you shall put the two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings, and you shall put them on the shorter pieces of the ephah at the, at the front of it. You shall make two rings of gold, and shall place them on the tube's ends of the first piece, on the edge of it, which is toward the inner side of the ephah. You shall make two rings of gold, and put them on the bottom of the two shorter pieces of the ephah, on the front of it, and of it close to the place where it is joined above the smoothly woven band of the ephah. It shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that it will be on the slowly woven band of the ephod, and that the breast piece will not come loose from the ephod. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment over his heart when he comes into the holy place for a remembrance before Yahweh continually. You shall put in the breast piece of judgment the Urim and Thummim, uh, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he comes in before Yahweh. Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before Yahweh continually. You shall make the robes of the ephod entirely of blue. There shall be an opening in its top and the middle of it. Around the edge of this opening there shall be a binding of woven work, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it will not be torn. You shall make on its hem pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around on the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron with the ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he comes into the holy place before Yahweh, and when he goes out so that he will not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of the signet, holy to Yahweh. You shall fasten it on a blue cord, and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel set apart as holy, with regard to all their holy gifts, and it shall continually be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before Yahweh. You shall weave the tunic of checkered work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash, the work of a weaver. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics. You shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them, for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. And you shall anoint them, and ordain them, and set them apart as holy, that they may minister to me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their bare flesh. They shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tent of meeting, or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place, so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a perpetual state to him and to his seed after him. 
Okay, well, thank you for that. Uh, still a little review. It's been a, it's been a while. Um, what, what's, how would you summarize Exodus chapters 1 through 14? Or 1 through 15? Make it a little bit easier for you. How would you summarize the first 15 chapters of Exodus? Suffering of the Israelites in the place. Yeah, right. And 15, 15 is kind of the climax of that ordeal when the song of Moses is sung after God delivers Israel, Israel through the Red Sea. Then something happens in uh, 16 to 17. They're on their way to receive. They're on their way to Sinai to receive the law. What happens in chapters 16 and 17? That kind of uh, ties in, that, that kind of prepares Israel for Sinai. Moses, right, he gives us a little introduction to what the law is about. What is the law going to do? And so we saw when God provides water and manna, water from the rock, right? And you see Israel's grumbling and their rebellion. They wish they could go back to Egypt. And it, it prepares us to the nature of the law. And the law is going to do two things. The law is going to reveal Israel's sin. And the law is going to point to salvation, right? Like the, 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 the rock, the water that comes out of the rock, um, it's going to point to that water. What happens in chapter 18? Jethro comes along, his father-in-law. He recognizes the blessing of God on Israel. And that, that recognition by Jethro is a... Uh, what does that, what does that uh, signify? What does that signify in chapter 18? Jethro is a what? Uh, what kind of a believer? A Gentile believer, right? He, he's not Jewish. He's, he's a Gentile believer. And he worships with Moses and the Israelites to show us that salvation is gonna is not just for Israel, it's going to be for the world, right? So that's chapter 18. What about chapter 19? Chapter 19 establishes... Sinai's reputation. What is Sinai about? What is the law about? It's a fearsome. It's holy. There's judgment there, right? That's what Sinai, that's the reputation of Sinai. But God says Israel will be his treasured possession. Now we get to chapters uh, 20 to 23. What was, what was chapters 20 to 23 about? The law, the content of the law. Um, what about chapter 24? What was chapter 24 about? Um, the Israelites say that they will obey the covenant. Yes. Uh, they would say that, but more significantly, it tells us that one day Israel is going to have a true relationship with God. Look at chapter 24, 9 through 11. He allows Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, 
He allows the 70, 70, he allows 70 of the elders of Israel, who represent all the people, to come up to the mountain, and they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles and the sons of Israel, and they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank, they had fellowship with him. He doesn't judge them. And it shows you that the future, that Israel will have a relationship with God. Oh, what about chapter 25 to 27? What was that about? It's the instruction about the tabernacle. And so it's just this elaborate tent with different compartments that will define what Israel's relationship with God will be like. So we see how there's theology in the tabernacle, and there's tensions in this tabernacle. What are some of the tensions in the tabernacle? What are some of the tensions in the tabernacle? What do you have, what don't you have? between a sinful people and a holy God. So, where can the people stay within the within the within the tabernacle? Where can they stay? Only in the courtyard, right? Who's who's only allowed in the most holy place, in the tent? Okay. And what, what does that show you? What, what, what tension does that show you? Separation. Separation and a relationship, right? So God is inviting Israel to have this relationship with him. Build this tabernacle. I want a relationship with you, Israel. But Israel, they're stuck in the courtyard. They can't enter the tent, the holy place, the holy of holies. And for... And so in that sense, Israel is like everybody else in the world. They're outside of Eden. Because it's in the, in the most holy place, in the holy of holies, this is what represents Eden. And Israel is outside of this Edenic representation. Now we get to chapter 28. And this is, this is God now instructs Israel, this is how you can get close to God. Chapter 28 begins a discussion on the theology of worship. How will sinners worship God? How will outsiders, outsiders, draw near to God and worship Him? And so chapter 28 and following explains the role of a priest. And as we understand the role of a priest in chapter 28, we will then be able to understand Israel's role as a kingdom of priests, because what the priest does for Israel models what Israel needs to do for the rest of the world as a kingdom of priests. So chapter 28 is about this priesthood, and one of the things it emphasizes is the holiness of the priesthood. Uh, we find an inclusio in chapter 28. 
An inclusio is basically, it's kind of like a, cat, a chiasm. So in a, in a chiasm, what you have kind of parallel points on the outside, and then just within those, those outside points, you have a, a second set of parallel points. And just within that that uh, that uh, second to second to last, or the, the kind of the inner the the, the the points that came before, you have a, a another parallel points, and in the middle is the beef, right? In the in the middle is the main point. And inclusio is uh, it's basically there are two uh, parallel statements that that act as like a as borders of the chapter, one at the beginning of the chapter, one at the end of the chapter, one at the, one at the beginning of the paragraph, one at the end of the paragraph, and it basically summarizes the content in between, right? And, then, and if this, this, is what, this is what we call an inclusio. Um, so the inclusio here, you see it in verse 2 and verse, and verse 40. Um, verse 2, we'll look at chapter 28, verse 2. God commands, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And verse 40, for Aaron's son, you shall make tunics, you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make cap for them for glory and for beauty. So uh, here, uh, this, these parallel statements summarize what uh, the verses in between will be like. So what's the basic message of chapter 28? That all of God's people must conform to God's holy standards, everybody, the priests, Israel, even us, the church. If you want to worship God, if you want to fulfill the role of the priest, you need to conform to holy standards. Verse 1 begins introducing the players involved and God commands Moses to bring Aaron, his brother, and his sons with him as priests. Israel is separated from, from God, remember? They, they can't, they, they're in the courtyard. So how can they have a relationship with God? Through the priesthood. The priests are Israel's point of entry into the holy place. Also, in addition to that, the priests act as a, as a symbol for all of Israel. As I said, the people of Israel, like the priests to them, must act as a priesthood for the entire world. But in order for Israel to draw near to God, in order for Israel to be a, a kingdom of priests for the world, they have to conform to these holy standards. They must be holy as their priests are holy. The second thing you learn in verse one is that in order in order to be a priest, you have to do you have to be what? According to verse one, can anybody be a priest? You have to be Aaron or his son. You got to be part of Aaron's family. So we learn that the priesthood is not an office that you can buy or purchase. It's not an office you can take a test to attain to. It's not. Uh, it's not something you can uh, uh, be, uh, win by popular election or by reason of power. Only God can make somebody a priest. But who becomes a priest is not by human choice. God chooses the priests. Verse two. 
Moses writes, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Here we learn that holiness consists of two things, glory and beauty. And uh, there's going to be these standards of holiness that, 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 that they need to keep. That the priest needs to conform to God's glory and beauty. And that implies what? If the priests need to conform to God's glory and beauty, that implies what? Sorry? What else does as well? Everybody else does it as well. Israel must conform to God's glory in order to commune with God's glory and beauty. Us too, the church, church of the living Christ, we must conform to God's glory and beauty in order to commune with God's glory and beauty. So the, the holy garments in verse 2, that it, it communicates that reality. They're clothed in conformity to God's holiness. And this, you see, the majesty of God consisting of these two things, glory and beauty. Priests must be holy and beautiful people to God in order for God's presence to dwell with them. That means all of God's people, including us, must be holy to God in order to have a relationship with Him. The verse 3 um, they must make Aaron's garments to set him apart as holy. So these garments set the priests apart. And then in verse four, it gives you a it gives you a summary of the chapter. Verse four uh, gives you a summary of the chapter, and it names six of the most important eight priestly garments that God requires. And these. Um, these six uh, priestly garments will be explained more in detail in chapter 20, 20, uh, chapter 28. What are they? Uh, what we're going to learn about in chapter 28, we're going to learn about uh, the breastpiece, uh, an ephod, a, a robe, a, a tunic, a turban, and a sash. That's what we're, we're going to learn about. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a turban, and a, a, a sash. And also we'll look briefly at the rest of the holy garments for um, sons. So, these uh, garments identify the priests who symbolically represent Israel before God and God before Israel. It says in verse 5, uh, they, sh they shall take the, the gold... Uh, have we seen that color before? Have we seen that precious metal before? Where did we see that before? The Egyptians gave their gold to the Israelites? Yes, that's where they got the gold. But uh, where did we see it more immediately? And you may not have been here. We saw the gold in the tabernacle. And the gold represented what? What was it a symbol of? Glory, yeah. And, and then next, we see some more familiar colors, blue, purple, scarlet. Where did we see that before? In the tabernacle. And these were colors of what? What do these colors represent? Sorry? I'm oh, sorry? Loyalty, uh, I guess. No? Oh, yeah, purple, that's what. kind of a combination of blue, purple, and scarlet. What does that remind you of? 
Ever been to a tropical island? You look up in the sky, you see what? You see a, this kind of this mixture of gold, purple, and scarlet. And so these, these are the colors of creation. And it shows, the colors of the tabernacle show that God's glory will one day fill the earth. And if the priests are wearing these colors of creation, and if the tabernacle that exhibited the same colors showed that the tabernacle that showed that God's glory would fill the earth, and now the priests individually are wearing these colors of creation, what does it what does it what does it demonstrate about God's glory in relationship to the priests? So if the tabernacle symbolizes that God's glory with the gold and the colors of creation, if it's going to fill the entire the entire world, and that would make the world what? Uh, the world the entire world becomes a temple, right? Now, if I'm wearing those same colors. What does it imply about me? Yes, that one day God's glory will fill individuals as well, inside and outside. And so the priests become mini tabernacles. We must be filled with God's glory. And so in the end, when that happens, right, if, if God's glory fills everything, you don't need a temple anymore, right? Because if everything is a temple, then nothing is a temple. There's no more temple because all separation has been removed. No more separation. And what you find at the end of Revelation, no more temple. Right? When Jesus returns, you have a new heavens and a new earth, you have a new Jerusalem, but you don't have a temple anymore. Why? Because everything is filled with God's glory. So, let us begin and examine each of the six priestly garments in detail. And uh, it, uh, in verse 4, it, it didn't give the exact order of, of how it will be laid out or how it will be structured in chapter 28. So it kind of goes out of order. But in verse 4 it said, uh, these are the garments that you need to make, a breastpiece and an ephod. Uh, ephod comes second, but as Moses uh, describes in detail how to make these garments, it starts with the ephod first in verse 6, right? So number 2 gets explained uh, uh, as, the, as the first first article to explain in detail. Um, anybody know what an ephod is? It's basically uh, it's basically a, a shirt, a, a, a torso. It, it covers a uh, your body from your shoulder to your your thighs, a little kind of long polo shirt. Um, normally, it won't cover your arms or your or your legs. It's kind of like a kind of like a tank top, kind of like a tank top. If you're trying to imagine the coordinates and the shape, and um, it um the ephod is is made of uh, fine linen. Fine linen. Um, 
That's the main material. You have the, the colors, um, the, the, the material is linen. And so whenever you see a, a, and this is important because later in scripture, whenever you see a, a, a linen ephod being worn, being worn by somebody, what does it signify? That that person is a priest. And so, for example, go to Daniel, go to Daniel, chapter 10. So, Daniel, Daniel 10, Daniel 10, verse 5. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a there was a certain man dressed in linen. This man, so immediately when you see linen, you should say, what? Aha! He's wearing the garb of a priest. So chapter 12 of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. I, Daniel, let's go to verse 5. And then, in the end time, Daniel looks, verse 5, chapter 12, two others were standing one on this bank of the river and the other on the other bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, verse 7, and I heard the man dressed in linen, right? So we know this guy's a priest. So Daniel isn't, is not, doesn't care about his fashion choices, you know, not like saying, well, just, just, just so you know, he's wearing a 100% cotton shirt, right? And wearing polyester, wearing linen, no, it, it, it's it's an important detail to show to help you real to understand who the identity of this person is. He's, he's a priest of some sort. He's a priest. Um, the 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 ephod and the breastpiece often go together, and uh, it's right after the ephod. Let's see what else. Yeah, the breastpiece comes next. So a little out of order according to, uh, it, it, as as first stated in verse 4. Um, look at verse 6. It's the same colors as the rest of Aaron's garments, uh, the same colors as the tabernacle curtains. It needed to uh, be made, made by a skillful craftsman, uh, a skillful designer in verse 6. Verse 7, it has two shoulder pieces. Uh, verse 8, it's made of gold that that God's, to symbolize God's glory that, that has to fill Israel. And so as God's glory filled the priests, the, the, the priests are supposed to mediate that glory to Israel so that they can be filled too. And the, and the, the feature, the special feature of the ephod was its, 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 its shoulder stones. Look at verse 9. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Where have you seen onyx stones before? Remember when you first saw onyx stones? So in Genesis 2, when Moses describes Eden, listen, listen to this. Now a river went out of Eden, the water that guarded, and from, the, from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and it is the one that went around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Now the gold of the land, of that land is good, the bedellium and the onyx stones are there. So the, 
you saw the onyx stone in creation, Genesis chapter two. And so you, this, 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 uh, the priests are kind of walking, talking, little creations, right? They're, they're walking, talking Edens, and uh, when, when did we see the first temple in the Bible? Where was the first temple? Sorry? Eden. And why, why Eden? Why was the first temple Eden? Because there God dwelled with man, right? There God dwelled with man. So the first temple is Eden. And so you have to you have this kind of this mini temple, this walking talking tabernacle, and he has two onyx stones and engraved on them are the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names were written on one stone. The names of the remaining six on the other stone. What, 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 and and uh, what do you think the purpose of that is? Why, 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 did, why, why, did, why is he wearing these, these, these shoulder pads with onyx stones engraved with the names of 12 tribes of Israel? What's the significance of that? Yeah, he's representing them before God. Yeah, uh, so the priests are there on behalf of the people. These people are important to God, and they would hang down on special gold chains. And so, as Aaron would move, the, the chains would swing, and you would you would see these these two stones. These two stones attached to the to the shoulder pieces, but they would kind of swing back and forth, and that would be a very uh, easily visible reminder of the people's corporate solidarity with Aaron. They would know their 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 Aaron represents me. He represents me. Now we move to the second article of priestly clothing in verses uh, find in verses fifteen to thirty. You have the breast piece. The breast piece of judgment. Verse 15. And the breast piece, it was basically, think of a, a square fabric pouch, about 18 inches square. It would be worn over the high priest's chest as a part of the ephod. It would be connected to that, 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 that first article that we just looked at. And the stones would hold, I mean, I'm sorry, the pocket would hold two stones called, look at verse 30, Urim and Thummim. So in the breast piece of, breast piece of judgment, in this, uh, this square fabric pouch, inside would hold these, these two stones, and uh, what would these stones... Uh, be there for? What, what would be the purpose when it says, verse 15, a breast piece of judgment, what would that mean? Judgment means a decision. It means a decision. So we don't know what they did with the stone. We don't know if they were like black and white, or maybe a one, two, maybe one side of the stone was black, other side was, was white, and they threw them up to discern God's will. But somehow, there were times that the Bible doesn't describe that God would reveal his will to the priests 
of by the use of the urim and the thummim. And it would be held, and again, the breastpiece of judgment, the breastpiece of decision, decision making. And this decision would be not from man to God, it would be from God to man. And so the priest, by putting on this breastpiece of, uh, 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 so he has the shoulder pieces, and that means what? He represents man to God, he represents the 12 tribes of Israel to God, but the breastpiece of judgment holding these two stones that 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 would would show God's decision making would would symbolize one of the priests. And not only did the priest go to God on behalf of man, also the role of the priest would be he would go to man on behalf of God. He would represent God's will, his decision to the people. Verse 16, it would be square, it would be folded double, a span of length, a span of width, and so this breast piece would cover your entire chest and belly area. It would be very prominent, it would be very central, uh, everybody would see it. Uh, why? Because you have on that breast piece of judgment, mounted on that breast piece, would be the verse, verse 17. Four, row, four rows of stone, a row, a, a row first rows are the ruby, topaz, emerald, second row, turquoise, sapphire, uh, diamond, jacinth, again, amethyst, beryl, onyx, jasper. It would be very pronounced. It would stand out uh, very explicitly to show that the priest is representing God to them. Right? He's representing Israel to God and God to them. And they were they were carried over where? Look what it says. Verse 29. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment over his heart. What is that? What, what do you think that symbolizes? This breastpiece with twelve stones representing the twelve tribes of Israel is over the priest's heart. What do you think that signifies? What comes out of a person's heart, Justin? Newlywed. Too weaker. What comes out of your heart? Comes out of my heart. Love, right? Love, right? <laughs> That's an easy one. Love comes out of the heart. So the, the placement of the recipe showed that God loves his people. Loves his people. God loves his people. He communicates uh, with them uh, through the Urim and the Thummim. Thummim. And so, through the priesthood, through the priesthood, through a priest, through a high priest, we can go to God, and God can come to us. The priest shows that. This is what the priest does. Do we still have? Do we still need a priest to go to God? We have Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and Jesus represents. God to us, and Jesus represents us to his Father. Right? And it was all it was all here. It was all here. So so remember, this is really important. This is really important for our theology. So within the law, 
The law shows separation, right? But it also shows what? A picture of the future. That separation will not always be permanent. So remember that. Because uh, a couple of brothers, they don't understand that part. They think law, separation, grace comes, law, get rid of. No, 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 no. You, you haven't studied Exodus 28 very well. No. Law, separation, but foretaste, foreshadow of no law. Reconciliation, communion, right? The law reveals our sin, and that points to salvation. Points to salvation. Very clear, over and over. You'll see that over and over again. You can't deny it. Um, so, let's go to the high priest's robe. In verses 31 to 35, the third piece of, uh, uh, <laughs> uh Peter had to leave, um, texted me. He, he, there was a, a candle lit in his house. Oh. He went to the candle to blow it out. All right, those candles. Kind of so he forgot to put it off? He forgot to blow it off. Then there's no fire, right? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. So I guess somebody must have told him there's a candle there. I don't know. I don't know how I found out. That's weird. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, verse 31 You shall make a robe of the ephod. Remember, the ephod is the shirt, kind of, you have a front, the ephod had a front piece and a back piece, a shoulder piece that tied the two square pieces, so it's a square piece, ephod, a square piece of garment in the front, square piece of garment in the back with, uh, with shoulder pads, uh, with, and, 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 and uh, chains that held these onyx stones, these flowing onyx stones, and there were these two, the front piece of the, the front garment of the ephod and the back garment, they were connected somehow. Now, what you would wear under the ephod would be the robe. And that's what verse 31 describes. The robe of the ephod is made of just one color, blue. Probably uh, the color of the sky. And it was pro the robe was about maybe eight foot, uh, eight foot long. Uh, the hole in the middle uh, where the high priest's head would stick out. So... Uh, four feet on the front and four feet on the back, bound collar. And um, interesting, on its hem, verse 33, you would make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around on its hem. What do you think the, the, the pomegranates represent? What do you think the pom pomegranates relate to somehow? I mean, uh, I mean, what, what do you, I mean, what would be your guess? Guess that best guess based on everything else that the pomegranates uh, connect somehow to what? Eden? Yeah, somehow to Eden, right? Uh, we don't see pomegranates specifically uh, uh, mentioned in Eden, but uh, we can kind of make an assumption that somehow. There were pomegranate trees in Eden. Some people think the pomegranate tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Shh, 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 shh. 
Um, some people the pot, some people think the pomegranates were somehow related to the tree of life. And I know every child kind of somehow thinks that. He thinks that. Um, there was also uh, the golden bell, and uh, this relates, uh, if it's golden, that means what? Something to do with God's glory. And we, we surmise that, you know, if the high priest was in the Holy of the, in the, Holy of the Holies, the, the most central, the inner sanctuary, the, um, the most uh, special place, and if the high priest was in the Holy of Holies, and you heard the bells ringing, you would, uh, it would be like a fire alarm, right? You would sense how serious this was. Right? You would sense how serious this was. And so it would be a reminder that, yeah, we, we can approach God through the high priest, but we have to do it with fear. We have to do it with fear. Now we go to, we go to the fourth, uh, fourth priestly garment found in 36 to 38. Uh, that would be the turban forehead plate. So you have a turban, you would wear it on your head, but uh, on that turban, the most dominant feature would be a special gold forehead plate. Special gold forehead plate. And that would, uh, that would really stand out. And engraved on it, it would say, Holy to Yahweh. And when it was on his... Um, when it was on his forehead, uh, verse 38, look what it says. It's when it's on his forehead, and, and Aaron shall take away the second. So while he's uh, has this uh, this uh, foreplate on his head, this forehead plate, um, what would he be doing? He would be uh, look at verse thirty-eight. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel set apart as holy. Through God shall their holy gifts, and shall be continually on his forehead, that they may accept it before God. So here, uh, he's describing the process of atonement, taking away the iniquity of the holy things. And so, to receive God's grace, um, that they might be holy, he would, uh, he would offer an atonement, right? And that would be, that would show that, hey, this is serious dedication. To serve Yahweh, serve Yahweh through an atonement, um, you need to be really holy. You need to be really dedicated. Right, so in, through the action, as, the, as Aaron would partake of the, aton of the atoning sacrifice, he would have on his, on his head, would have on his head uh, this uh, this forehead plate with the words "Holy to Yahweh," and so remember, the priests 
uh, is a represents what Israel needs to be to the world, okay? And this phrase, holy to Yahweh, in verse 36, this phrase is going to be a key phrase in the Old Testament. You're going to see this over and over again. And go to Zechariah 14. Anybody knows what happens in Zechariah 14? You know what, what happens in Zechariah 14? Anybody? Go turn there now. So Zechariah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead, turn, turn with me to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 is the summary of the millennial kingdom. This is when all of God's promises are fulfilled, literally by Israel. And what does it say in verse 20 and 21? In that day, verse chapter 14, verse 20. In that day. There will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to Yahweh. Right? And the pots in the house of Yahweh will be like the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah, Judah will be holy to Yahweh of hosts. Right? So, what is it saying? That the priesthood that you first saw in the altar, before the altar, in the tabernacle, only by the priest, now. Israel is the kingdom of priests they always should have been. Where everything, even the bells of the horses, have that insignia holy to Yahweh. First it was just on the forehead plates of the priests. Now, even the, even the bells of the horses have that, that statement, holy to Yahweh, because now all of Israel is the kingdom of priests. So there you go. There's kind of fulfillment, right? So do you see? So do you see again? Do you see how the law, the law as stipulated in chapter 28, is fulfilled in Zechariah 14? Do you see how it points that way? So the, the law it shows, yes, there's separation, but it also shows that one day. There will not be any separation. So within the law is a signpost to final salvation, as we saw in Zechariah 14. Oh, real quickly, uh, the fifth, fifth, uh, gar fifth uh, set of garments in verse 39 is explained. Uh, you, you weave a tunic, and you have a turban, you have a sash. Those three, uh, three. Uh, so remember. It's, you wear the robe, the ephod goes outside the robe, the tunic, the tunic would be where would be worn under the robe. So you have a you have a tunic, you have a robe, and then you have an ephod, right? And then uh, outside that ephod you have the breastplate piece of judgment. You have the the turban, and you have on the turban you have the the uh, the metal piece on your forehead. Then you have a sash, and that would go around your waist. That would keep it all together. And then verse, verses 40 to 43, uh, Moses, uh, God gives instructions for the tunics of Aaron's sons. And so, 
Look at that really quick. They get uh, they get tunics, they get sashes, they get caps, they get uh, um, they're anointed, they're ordained. Verse twenty two. They have a linen undergarments. But what don't they have? It seems they don't have an ephod, right? There's no ephod there. There's no breast piece of judgment there, correct? There, there's no, um, uh, there's no uh, a plate of pure gold for your for your head, your forehead, right? Now we're not sure whether that means we're not exactly sure if if the ephod and the breast piece was specifically for just the high priest. It seems to indicate that though, or. Moses is just assuming that Aaron's sons also get to wear the breast piece and the ephod and the and the uh, and the, the forehead piece. So there's a there's a question for us. Maybe maybe a little it'll be revealed later as we kind of go through kind of Deuteronomy and such, or maybe the, the next chapters will will ask that for us. Um, so in chapter twenty eight to wrap it all up. You have this theology of worship that allows a God to go to man and man to go to God and the priesthood demonstrates this theology, it, it mediates this kind of worship. And it's a, remember I said uh, Exodus is what? The cornerstone of theology. This is, uh, this, is this, 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 this describes our relationship with God, right? We through, we go to God through our high priest and he rep rep represents the Father to us. And because uh, he's holy, he communes with the Holy One. And because our high priest is holy, that means what? We too need to be holy. Right? We need to be like Christ. In order to enjoy a relationship like the Son enjoys a relationship with the Father, we too need to be as holy as Jesus to enjoy this relationship with the Father. So as Jesus is a high priest to us, we too must be a high priest for the world to bring them to Christ. Right? So the same, same dynamics we see in chapter 28 for Israel apply, apply to, to the church today uh, in relationship to the rest of the world. All right? I don't know how this went too long. <laughs> it went too long. Maybe we started late. Maybe we started late. Um, but uh, uh, any questions on, on this? Chapter 28? So I was following on. It was really helpful for me to see the visual aid as we're reading through. So um, their names of the tribes of Israel is on the shoulders and on the breast on, on each stone on the breastplate, right? Well, I know. I know on the. So yes. So on the on the two on the on the two onyx stones. Um. That's attached to the shoulder pieces, but they, according to one comment here, they swing on chains. Um, yes, on, on those two onyx stones connected to the shoulder pieces, you have engraved the name of the sons of Israel. And then you have, that shall be, they shall be like the engravings of the signet each. Where did we see signet, Judge? As, 
as a jeweler engraves a signet, so sh you shall engrave it. Verse 11, as a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. And that says here, uh, uh, the stone shall be, the twelve stones now on the breast, like breast piece of judgment, stone shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to the name, they shall be like the engravements of a, of a, of a signet, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. So yes, the stones have engraved on, uh, on the, the names on, on each stone. Yeah, according to verse 21. It's like he's carrying them on his shoulders and his heart. Yeah, over his heart. Yeah. On his shoulders. And uh, this is this this was super helpful for me. Uh, just being reminded of what the tabernacle represents. Uh, Eden creation, right? And so just to give you an example, let me give you a foretaste of what we're studying this Sunday. So we're studying Psalm 36. What is Psalm 36? And let me tell you just how this kind of seemingly boring stuff helped me understand what verse in Psalm 36 means. So, go to verse Psalm 36, verse 8. They are satisfied from the riches of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. So there's an interpretive uh, quandary among commentators. Uh, when, when, when David writes house, uh, does he mean... Heaven, does he mean kind of this generic, um, kind of this kind of a metaphor uh, for God's person? Um, or does it specifically mean the tabernacle, right? They are satisfied for the riches of your house. How, did, how, how, do I, how, how was I able to figure that out? Oh, I didn't know first until I studied the second half of verse 8, and there it's, uh, it writes, You gave them to drink of the river. Of your delights, delights, that's just another word for Eden, right? So you gave them to drink the river of Eden. So I said, oh, Eden, aha. A house must mean what? The temple, the tabernacle, right? As soon as I saw Eden, I knew house must refer to the tabernacle and God's presence there. So when David, when David would go to the tabernacle, he would be satisfied because there was God's presence, right? How did I know that? Because I, I studied uh, uh, Exodus 26, 27, 28. I was reminded what the tabernacle is, right? So something um, that seems kind of irrelevant, maybe too much detail, helps you with detail later in Psalm 36. All right, so you don't have to, be, you don't have to generalize it. You can be really specific. So you'll hear that, you'll hear that come out uh, this Sunday. All right, everything works together. Everything kind of interconnects, everything intersects and interdependent. And you need every, every detail to understand scripture.